Well, Grace, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, guess what? You get to make eye contact with me this week. This is going to be great. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to youtube.com slash Idaho Grace and watch the last two messages and you'll get what I'm talking about. But we're still in this series through Ephesians looking at relationships God's way. When you hear this date, June 6, 1944, what do you think of? D-Day. Somebody remembers American history class. Or maybe you remember specifically as a kid the events of that day. At 6.30 a.m., around 5,000 boats came to the shores of Normandy and 175,000 soldiers disembarked. And what took place that day at Normandy really did change the whole temperature of World War II. It broke the hold that, that Nazi Germany had on Western Europe, and, and in less than a year, they would surrender. It was a very, very significant day. But I would also say this, it was a very costly day. Very costly day. In fact, the uh, United States lost 12,000 men in, five, in 15 minutes. And, and man, when you think about just the weight of that, just, uh, it's, we, we owe a great debt of gratitude to uh, those who have served so that we could be free. That being said, those that survived, many of them recalled phrases that were broadcast over the ship's intercom before they left the ship. And it would vary from, from ship to ship. Uh, di- you know, di- different commanders used different phrases, but some of the phrases that, that we have recorded, one was, fight to get your troops ashore, Fight to save your ships, and if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. Another went, we shall die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. Another one went like this, this is it, pick it up, put it on, you've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. But the two messages that all ships Heard, all men heard before they disembarked was first, first of all, away all boats. And then the last message they heard was, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what, what took place over the, the, the next uh, several hours was, was it, it was huge. It was huge. But the commanders, the ship commanders, wanted to make sure that their men knew what they were about that day. When they hit the shore, they, they wanted to make sure that they were laser focused on this fact. There's a vicious enemy. You're going to face enemy fire. Some of us aren't coming back, but we've been given a duty. Let's do this. They knew exactly what they were walking into and they went anyway. Now, I, I, I use that as an example because the Apostle Paul is writing about spiritual warfare in this letter of Ephesians. Now, probably when you think of, of spiritual warfare, like the first, the, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Ephesians 6, that's where he's going. It talks about putting on the full armor of God. That's, that's what he's talking about. Well, yeah, that's there, but that's just the, you know, the, clo- the closing part of this. He's actually been giving us an idea of who this enemy is, 
the, the type of enemy that we're facing. And over the last little bit, we've looked at this. You see, we're, we're in a battle. And one of the tragedies for us would be just like if, a, if a, a soldier storming the beaches showed up with a beach towel and a rubber ducky and said, hey, it's going to be great, you know, let's build sandcastles. Like, you're, that's ludicrous. But I think in the same way, it's a, it's a tragedy if as sons and daughters of, Christ, of, of, of God, we show up and we think that we're showing up to a playground. That's not the case. We're showing up to a battleground. And we need to be aware of the fact that there is an enemy that wants to take us down. He wants to sink our families, marriages, relationships. He is not going to play fair. It's not like we're going into this unopposed. It, it cracks me up when we're having a relationship, relationship conflict and, and we think just immediately, the other person's the problem. Now, they might be part of the problem. But Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. There's, a, there, there's something bigger than this. And, and he talks about the world. In fact, just here in chapter five, he, he, uh, if you look at uh, verse eight, he says that the world, he, he gives us this implication, the world is a dark place. If you read verse 14, we're gonna pick up, the, the world is a, is a place of the dead. If you look at verse 16, which we're getting ready to read, he says that the days in which we live in, they're evil days. He wrote that nearly 2,000 years ago. Can I tell you that, that it's still true today? And so because of this, he's given us advice on what to do. And so today as I'm, I'm sharing this message, I want us to listen to this, not, not just as... Um, not, not just, oh yeah, hey, another message, another series, you know. In fact, you might wonder, what's this have to do with relationships? No, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen as soldiers that are going out. Because here's the thing, when I talk about the fact that, that we have an enemy, we might be tempted like, oh, I'm concerned and I'm fearful for our families. Here's the deal. We do not fight for, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Man, I've read the, the back of the book. Guess what? Like, read, read the back of the book. We win. We win. Like, like, so I'm not stressed about this. I want to remind us of the fact that we serve a God who is able, but there are some things we need to be aware of as we're going into battle. And so I want us to hear these words as, as, as Paul wrote them, picking up our reading here in verse 15, when he says, look carefully then, he's talking about if this is what the world is, this is where the world, this is what the world does, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what I like, man. The, the question that we're going to look at is, is a big question. Actually, Francis Schaeffer, uh, he came, you know, made it very popular in the 70s. He was a Christian uh, apologist. When, when he asked the question, how then should we live? And I want to I address that question. How do we live for Christ? How do we fight the good fight? There are things I don't believe that we should just live reactively. 
well, we're just going to be careful looking for the enemy when he brings it to us. No, what he's given us here is a way for us to live proactively. We're going into battle. And what I love, man, is like he breaks us down. And I know there are some of you that you take notes on your phone or whatever, or whatever. And some of you, I've heard, I have heard that there are some spouses that they actually fill in the point before I get to a pencil to see which one of you is going to be right. So I'm going to tell you, I'm all for that. Make your bets because this is going to be an easy one because he lays this out. You're going to be able probably to figure this out even before I say it, but I want to break down what he says. How now shall I live? Number one, he says, walk carefully. Walk carefully. Now, <laughs> um, you know, when, when your kids go to college, it's not just that you miss your kids because they're at college. You also miss the dynamic that they bring to the family. You don't realize, like, like some of you, when your kids got married, it's not just that it, it, it changed things because they're gone. It changed the dynamic because like, like if the peacemaker of the family gets married, like, like what just happened here? Okay, so, so for us, like our, our, my two oldest are in college. Trey, um, he used to be my uh, director of lawn management and uh, did a great job. And as, as soon as he left, I didn't think about that. But as soon as he was gone, that next Saturday rolled around, I'm like, huh, what shall we do now? And so I appointed Cole, his brother, director of lawn management. It worked out great for us. And so Cole's doing that, you know. And, and, and so then Cassidy leaves. Cassidy leaves for college. She's a freshman this year. And, and again, we're not thinking about this. And all of a sudden it hits like, you know what? She's responsible, uh, her, her, one of her main responsibilities was picking up after our black lab Zoe. When I say pick up, I don't need to go into detail, you get what I'm talking about. <laughs> and let's just say that, that, that Cole was not uh, really too thrilled about uh, working overtime and doing both, but I'm like, bro, hey, it is what it is. I said, we can get rid of the dog or uh, I can get rid of you. You pay it. I mean, like, what, what is this going to be? <laughs> okay, not really, but... Uh, but okay, so let's just say that there are some, there are some times and, and maybe some days that um, uh, Cole isn't as proactive every single day to, to knock it out. And, and so like when, when we're like, hey, let's go out and throw the football around, he doesn't necessarily want to go to the backyard to because of Zoe's little gifts. We go to the front yard or whatever because you, you're, like, you're not going to walk just, hey, without looking, you're going to walk carefully. There are little landmines waiting on you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what, what, the, what the Apostle Paul is writing here, and it's, it's on a much deeper level, obviously, is, is walk carefully. Just like it would be very foolish if you know that, 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 that there's stuff that's gonna, that you're going to step in, you, you're going to be careful where you walk. He's saying, I want you to be aware of the fact that, that you need to be careful. You need to look. Don't be a fool. Now, here's the thing. We're all born fools. Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. All right? And by the way, just so you know, you, if, you're, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, and you say, yes, yes, and yes, foolishness is, your parents got to experience the same thing in your life. Like, we learn some of these things. But Proverbs takes it, as a, Proverbs spends a lot of time digging into this. The Psalms, uh, the Psalmist uh, David talks about this. In fact, in, in, in Psalm 14.1, uh, David writes, he said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And you know, it's interesting because when he, when he says walk carefully, not 
not as unwise, but as wise. I'm, again, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to believers here this morning. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I love the fact that you're here. And I, I mean, I do think there's some really great things that, that you can wrestle with. And I'm praying that, that, man, that God speaks to your heart this morning. But I'm talking primarily to believers here. And what I've found is that the reason he has to write this to believers not as unwise but as wise is because there are times that we function as Christian atheists. And here's what I mean by this. An atheist consciously, they, they make the declaration there is no God. A Christian atheist is someone who acknowledges there is a God but lives as if there is no God. Uh, it's, and and, and this, is, this is the fool. The fool who, who just accepts everything, that, that makes themselves the standard of truth. It's, it's, it's the fool that says there is no, there is no divine throne. And, and even though we acknowledge it, we live as if we don't believe that there's going to be a judgment one day. We live as if there is no standard as if there is no authority, as if God has not given us his word. He, he says, walk carefully, not as unwise, but, but as wise. Proverbs 10, 21, they, it's just a, it's a powerful verse. And the Proverbs writer writes this, fools die for lack of wisdom. Fools die for lack of wisdom. And it's been interesting because across the years as a pastor, I've, I've, I've seen this. I've seen even believers experience a death due to foolishness. I've seen the death of marriages, the death of relationships, the death of friendships, all because we didn't look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, on the other hand, what I've seen, though, is that there is a wise walk. There, there is a proactive way we walk wisely. And, and, and really, if I could sum it up in a phrase, it would, it would simply be this. We live with eternity's values in view. It's what, it's what the Apostle Paul is, is writing to us here. It's an intentional walk in which we declare war on the gravitational pull of the world and its desires. It's, it's this intentional walk in which we realize that even though I've been saved, even though God has done this work, the battle is not over. There's still going to be temptation. There's, there's none of us who, who gets to a place that we cannot fall. It's a person who lives intentionally, living with eternity's values in view, walking purposefully, carefully, knowing that we're living for a greater reward, recognizing that the foolishness of sin is deadly and will kill us. Because man, I don't know about you, I, I know it is easy to flirt casually with sin, to, to, to minimize, to minimize sin, to, to accommodate sin, and, and to minimize the, the consequences, we don't think of it, because you know what? We think with the desires, we think from the flesh. John Owen 
the, the great Puritan church father said, we are either actively killing sin or it's killing us. And here's what I've learned, guys. Man, I, I, I've seen this in my families, my extended family. I've seen this in, in churches, my friends. Flirtation with sin is always dangerous because flirtation leads to rationalization. Rationalization leads to accommodation. Accommodation leads to transformation. You're transformed by that sin and transformation ultimately will lead to destruction. And this is why he, he's ready. Walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. But then he goes on to say this. It's not just that we walk carefully. He's beginning to break this down. Maximize the time you've been given. The days that we live in are evil. So maximize, maximize. Take care of the time that, that you've been given. And man, it, I, I'm telling you, this is, this is an area sometimes in which I struggle. I don't know about you. Anybody ever struggle in this thing when it comes to time? Oh, I guess I'm the only one. Okay, wow, that's good. When I, years ago, I, I might've even been in college where when I, I heard somebody share and I wasn't there when this happened, I just somebody shared the story of a university professor that came into class one day. He had a glass jar and he had these big rocks and he put the big rocks in the jar and he asked his, his uh, students, he said, is the jar full? And they said, yes. He said, wait a second. He pulls out, uh, a bunch of pebbles and he pours the pebbles in, he shakes it around and, and then he says, is this jar full? Well, by that time, they're like, uh, we're gonna say yes and there's something else. And so they're like, well, yes, unless there's something else. And sure enough, he brings out sand and he fills it with sand, shakes it around and, and he goes, is it, is it full? Well, yes. And then he added water. Anyway, it was a, it was a whole, his, his point was, he said, if I did this backwards, if I filled this jar with sand first, could you get the rocks in? They said, no. And he said, I want you to think of rocks as, as the things that, that matter in life, relationships. Uh, your relationship with God, your relationship with your, your spouse, your family, the things that matter most. In fact, I'm just going to add this. Like, think about who's going to show up to your funeral. Who are the people that you think will show up to your funeral? Those are the people that, that should matter most. He said, then the, the, the pebbles, those are the other things of life, career, uh, uh, man, schooling, other things that are very, very important, things we should prioritize. And then he said, I want you to think of sand as the things that, that it's just, sometimes it's a waste of time. It's, it's just things that we do to either entertain ourselves or whatever. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But he said, make sure that you get the rocks in the jar first. And you know, man, God has been challenging. I'm just going to share what he's, he's been challenging me. This, this is about two months ago. Two months ago. God began to challenge me about this. Now, here's what you get to know. I started following the Lord back in 1999. That's when I started my journey, and God has been so gracious and faithful. And one of the ways in which God's been gracious and faithful, he has revealed to me how desperately I need spiritual disciplines. Because I just, I'm like, like we're all the same way. We naturally drift. That gravitational pull of the world that I'm talking about is a very real thing. It's easy to drift. And so, man, God has been faithful to show me how desperately I need to worship with the people of God. How, how desperately I need the word of God. Prayer, fasting, reading, that all of this. And, and so, man, across the years, my, my days, I'm a morning person. Like, I'm an annoying morning person. <laughs> Seriously. I, like, you guys, 
You're like, how do you have so much energy? Well, it's nice that you guys see it in small benefits. Pray for my, my wife. She gets to see it all the time. She's like, like she wakes up like, oh, and I'm like, let's go. And so I'm very, very intentional in the mornings. Like, man, I get up and I, I, I have these spiritual disciplines in place and even, you know, disciplines throughout the day with, with my time and all that sort of thing. Uh, that's just how, how I, I know I need this. But God showed me if, if a couple months ago, two or three months ago, that he said, your e-, he said, your evening is not at all intentional like the rest of your day is. And what, what I often do is I, I come home and, dude, I'm wasted, I'm tired. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with taking a nap. There's nothing wrong with watching TV or anything. But what I, what I, I came home and... I zoned out. In fact, I'll be honest, what God showed me is that I gave my family the fourths, not the first helpings. And he challenged me. He said, I want you to end your day as intentionally as you begin your day. And guys, it's it's this thing. Listen, I'm still in this. I'm still developing this this discipline because I need this. Because I wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know if you guys are like me. When you wake up, you can't go back to sleep because you're thinking of everything you got to get done. Anybody else ever do that? I started, I just, I'm just telling you what I'm doing. Don't, this is not for you. This is what God shared with me. I, I, uh, I bought every single one of Charles Spurgeon's messages. He's like a guy that preached in the 1800s. And I'm like, I'm reading a message every single night before I go to bed. Specifically because I wake up a lot and I can't go back to sleep. It's like when I wake up, I'm not going to dwell on the stress. I'm going to dwell on the word. And it, I'm going to tell you guys, that simple little thing has been something that God has been transforming. When I come in, I, I, I'm like you. I would say that the most important organization in my life is my family, my relationship with God. But many times I live as if every, everything else and everybody else is most important. But God said, when you come in and you hit the garage door open and your garage door goes up, I want you to think, I'm coming home to fight. I'm not coming home to sit. Now listen, we have fun. Probably Lori sometimes thinks I'm coming home to fight. I don't know, but uh, that's that's a whole nother ball game. But what I found is that our time matters. And it's way too easy for me to live on my phone, to mindlessly just check out when I come home, and your life's different than mine. I get that. There are different things. I'm just saying that, that, that part of this proactive thing of storming the beach is walking carefully and taking advantage of the time we've been given. Guys, in the last two years, I've never gone through a season of loss like I have in the last two years. Between family and close friends, I've lost 40 people. A lot of that was due to COVID. It's been devastating. And when I say I've lost people, we're not, I'm not talking about people in their 90s and they hit 100. I'm talking about guys that I went to youth camp with, people I went to school with, other guys right around my age or mentors that have invested in me. And it's made me remember that we don't know how much time we've been given, but every time that a child of God has been given, Let's maximize this. Now, that doesn't mean stay busy. Sometimes that means you need to rest. Sometimes that means you need to say no because you're trying to earn everybody else's favor. You just need to rest. You leave that with God. But, but Paul's saying, man, the days are evil. Walk carefully. 
maximize your time. But then he goes on to, to say this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He challenges us to deal with life's pressures by depending on the Holy Spirit. And what, what, what he does here in verse 18 is he presents two options, alcohol and the Holy Spirit. If Paul was teaching this today, he probably could have used any number of unhealthy things that we turn to to deal with life's pressures that maybe didn't exist then. You know, some of us try to, we just get so depressed, all we do is just sleep. We try to put the covers over our heads and sleep or overwork or junk food or binge watching Netflix or whatever. But I, I think maybe he would still use alcohol or pot maybe. And here's why. Alcohol and the Holy Spirit both produce some of the same things in us. They just do it in entirely different ways. Alcohol is a depressant that dulls our senses to reality, while the Holy Spirit is a stimulus that makes us more aware of reality. We'll cope with life in, in different ways based on what we turn to, and the Holy Spirit helps us cope by opening our eyes to the reality of God. Now, let me just say something. What, what I just read here is, is not a full commentary on, on alcohol. Like he's making, he's using this as an analogy. And, and there, I know there are two extremes. Every time I, I hit on a sense, listen, I've just been hitting on all the sensitive issues. Let's just go ahead and hit, talk about this too, Okay. Like there are people that want me to stand up here and say, oh, if you drink alcohol, that's a sin. And I'll say that if you can show me where it's at in the Bible. But it's, it's, it's not there. Like, well, it's different. The kind of alcohol they use today. And like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not a brewer. Like I so said, I don't know. Here's, here's all I know is that drunkenness, drunkenness is always referred to as a sin. And so let me just, let me just say this. In like some of us, it's walking carefully, not as unwise, but as wise that you need to focus on. Maybe it's maximizing your time. But some of you here, honestly, you need to stop drinking so much. What I mean by that is you're turning to alcohol to cope with life rather than depending on the Holy Spirit. Feel that cool breeze, Father. <laughs> Come on, baby. No, I'm, hey, listen. Apostle Paul drank. Listen, Jesus didn't turn the water into grape juice. He turned it into wine. <laughs> but some of us are unaware of the fight because we're turning to something other than the Holy Spirit for our help in addressing the challenges that life brings us. And listen, there, there's a reason he uses this because they both address things. For instance, alcohol gets rid of worry by, by making us forget. The spirit gets rid of worry by making us remember. Remember who God is. Remember what God's promised. Alcohol gives courage by making you unaware of the dangers around you. You don't believe me? Go to a Boise State game. You're gonna see it on full display. This Holy Spirit gives us courage by showing us 
how much bigger God is than our problems, than our fears. Alcohol adds excitement by giving us a thrill, yeah. But man, the Spirit gives excitement by taking us into the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Here's my thing. I don't want to miss out on what God can do because I'm, I'm, I'm medicating myself over here so I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just so I'm unaware. And, and I, listen, I'm not going to start there. We turn to all kinds of different things. Some of you guys turn to ice cream. Wow. You never know when you're going to hit a, a sensitive spot. That's amazing, man. God bless you. Some of us, man, some of us turn to food. Some of us turn to drugs. Some of us turn to porn. Listen, listen man, any time that we turn to something other than the Holy Spirit to cope with life's pressures, we're in a battle. And we're, we're, we're going to miss out. And, and, and there are times that, that we've actually been hurt because we haven't, as we talked about in our last series, walked by the Spirit, haven't let ourselves be led by the Spirit. We haven't kept step with the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that, that phrase, be filled, it comes from one word, it's a, it's, a, it's a Greek word that literally means continually be filled. It's, it's like, you know, like I need to go on the way here. I noticed that in my... Uh, gas tank's getting empty. I got to stop by and, and get gas. Like, it's not going to, it's not going to fuel itself. I, I have to fill the gas tank. It's the same thing. We have to continually be filled by the Holy Spirit. But then he moves on and he says something that might even seem a, a, a little weird to us. He says the, the, the other way that, that we live in response and, and we should prepare ourselves is, is, is to keep singing. I got to ask, how, how many of you have ever sung like in choir, a school group, a music, a vocal group. If you've ever been in a group like that, let me see your hands. Just, just raise your hand. And you guys aren't in choir. I'm going to tell you right now, Tony, get the security camera. I'm going to get it. No, I'm now, how many of you would say, I can't carry a tune in a bucket? Let me see your hands. Awesome. Like, okay, so here's my question though. Did, did Paul put any qualification on singing to one another? No, because the point is not on the performance. The point is on the song that you're singing. Like some of you, it literally is a joyful noise. You are making a joyful noise to the Lord. They're like, it's, it's noise, right? But don't ever let your spouse tell you to stop singing. Don't let the person in front of you turn around and... No, listen, he says... Keep singing. And I think it's so funny. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, I want, I want you to encourage one another. I want you to remind you of what God's done through, through just more doctrine, through more creeds. Give the creeds to one another. Go listen to more pastors' podcasts. Listen to messages. No, he said sing. Guys, don't forget, God created music. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful gift. Now, can it be hijacked? Yes, but it's a powerful gift because songs communicate emotion. And what I know is that every person who is in battle for the Lord, they've got to be a worshiper. If we don't worship, we forget that the battle belongs to the Lord. 
We sing because we remember. We sing. We remind ourselves who God is. We sing because it's a way for us to feel our faith. Now listen, can I tell you, faith is not about feelings, but a faith that cannot be felt when you're walking into battle is a faith that's not very comforting. And there's a reason he asked us to sing. And so what, what this means is, is we sing by, by I don't know, worship comes by looking at something. For instance, we, we study who Christ is. But instead of studying him just like from a trivia perspective of, of all these historical facts, no, we study Christ and we see who he is. He's the precious lamb of God, the, the very image of God. He came here to, to reveal to us who God is, how God loves. We remember who he is. He hung for us on a cross. And what happens as we begin to dwell and meditate, we, see, we study Christ the way we study a beautiful sunset that takes our, our breath away. And, and then just, it just, the song swells. But there are times, I don't, it kind of sounds weird, weird or whatever, but it is what it is. Like, like my, Lori's a fifth grade teacher and, and, and like at night she gets home and she grades to like, you know, 10, 30, 11. If you guys are teachers, you know, you know that's, that's life. And, and so she'll, I'll be over there reading or, or watching TV or something. I'll look over and, she, and she's just like, just doing a normal thing of, of grading papers or whatever. And man, I just look at my wife. I know it sounds creepy. Just hang with me. And I just, re, I just look at her and it's just it's like, she's an awesome lady. I love my wife. She's a hard worker. She loves our kids, man. She sacrifices. You'll, you'll never, you won't find a harder, a harder worker than my wife. She loves deeply. She's the most loyal person. And as, as I just look, there are times, man, I, I don't know. It, it's weird, man. I get this emotion that comes from remembering who she is. And, and all it does is it makes that look like some of you guys just need to go home and do that. Like just start right there. There's something powerful. The same thing is, is man, when we, we begin to remember who Christ is and what he's done, it changes. When's the last time you thought about Jesus? We're so worried about walking after Jesus. Think about Christ. Who is he? What has he done for you? Remember how he set you free. Remember how he saved you. Man, hear that music, feel the music, sing the music. Which, which then he, he says, man, you, we, we sing this to each other. We worship together. That's, that's the, the fifth thing that, that he breaks down here. And I know that, that, sounds, that sounds weird. Like, I don't want to sing to somebody else. Like when we were, my church was uh, growing up, and not just my church, but a lot of churches did this. Probably, maybe you, you guys did this, but like if somebody would come to church and they were new, like we would have them stand, like the whole family would stand. Like looking back, you're like, what in the world were we thinking? They would stand and everybody would turn around and sing to them. There's a welcome here, there's a welcome here, there's a Christian welcome here. There's a welcome here, there's a welcome here, there's a Christian welcome here. I'll be here all week. No, I won't, no. No, we, we would sing to them, like, and everybody's staring at them. Then we would have them sit down and usher, get, give them an unsharpened pencil and say, thank you for worshiping with us today. Like, looking back, no wonder our churches grew like bars of soap. Who wants to come back to that? Just so you know, that's not what Paul's talking about. 
No, he's, he's talking about worshiping together, being close enough to hear the song of a person's heart. And listen, man, I'm so thankful that we have our online ministry. Some of you are watching right now, and I'm very thankful that you are watching. And, and th- man, we have, we have many that are part of our church family that for whatever reason can't come here because of physical problems or whatever. But I'm going to say something, not in a judgmental way. If you're just using this because it's like, ah, I just don't like people. You can't sing together and sing to one another when you're all alone. And if, we're, if we've learned anything about worship from COVID, it's that we need the family of God. Amen. You see, we're in battle, but we can't do this battle by ourselves. We need each other. And they're like, well, there's just too many people. Can't come back to church. Dude, I promise you, if you come to the 8 o'clock service, 1230 service, you will find a seat. Don't come to 930 service because, like, it's packed. But, you know what I'm saying? Listen, there's a reason why Paul says, sing these, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I mean, I got I to gotta land this plane. Um, so here's the last thing I'm going to give you. The last thing I want you to hear as you clamber off this boat, we're going to go, we're storming the beach. We're not reactive. We are proactively for our, we're fighting for our families. We're not fighting in our families. We're fighting for our families, fighting for these relationships, doing relationships God's way is, is this. Look for the good that God is doing and say thank you. Look for the good that God is doing and say thank you. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And real quick, let me just say this. He's not saying that you gotta dance around the coffin at a funeral. Yes! No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you can't cry when you get the report that you have cancer. Your heart, he's not saying that your heart won't break when your kids do something or he's not saying that you act in a superficial way acting like everything's perfectly okay all the time when life is really hard. But he's just saying, sing to one another and acknowledge what God has been doing. In Hebrews 2, the Hebrews writer quotes Psalm 22 when he, when he says that Jesus Christ has put a new song in the hearts of his people. Now, Psalm 22 quotes with that, that verse. He said, I put a new song in the midst of the congregation. But you also got to know what Psalm 22 is. It's, it's, it's the song that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross. It, be, it begins, the first verse of Psalm 22 is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's, a, song of, uh, it's a song of abandonment. God, where are you? And I think that there are times that, that we sing because we are happy. It's easy to see the good when life is going on. Honestly, I will say this though. We usually don't stop and say thank you in good times because we just take it for granted. It's usually in tough times that we have to wrestle with this whole thing. But I would challenge us to start right here. To live a life of thanksgiving, even when life hurts. It's like, man, you want to hear the song of my heart? The song of groaning? Start right here. If you're joyful, 
You have seen God move. Man, we just, our lead guitar, uh, uh, Jake just told me, man, they just had a baby, and man, he's proud as a dad, and it's awesome. I'm, we're, we're rejoicing. Wherever you happen to be in life, whatever you're, you're rejoicing about, start here. Realize what God has done to rescue us. Realize what God has promised. Real, take time to acknowledge what you've seen him do. There's a reason why that old gospel song we used to sing in church is so true. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. It, it, it's, it's this whole point. We, as we reflect and we begin to count, it gives us new perspective to where we happen to be. The story isn't over. Your story isn't over. As we meditate on the truth of who God is, what he's done, what Christ has done for us, how he saved us, where he's brought us, literally it puts a new song in our heart, even in those tough seasons. In fact, you know what I'm going to do for closing? I want to give like some very practical application. Don't be like James 1 talks about. Don't, Don't just be a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. Listen, if you're a, a parent or a grandparent and you still have kids in the house, I want you to do something this week. I want you to sit down at one meal and I want you to intentionally talk about what you've seen God do. There are stories of God's faithfulness to you that your kids have never heard, that your grandkids have never heard. This week, take time to acknowledge what God has done and give thanks with somebody else. And then I want you to let your kids talk about what they've seen God do. There's sometimes God's, uh, kids have a better view of what God's doing than we do. They, and they have no problem sharing. Like right now, like if you're worried, you know, you think you have the family secret, right back there in Grace Kids, we've just asked for kids to share their prayer requests and we know everything about what's going on in your house. That's just the way kids are. Let them share about what they've seen God do. Couples, if you're married, man, Hopefully you're talking about the budget together, talking about raising kids or talking about dreams, goals, vacate. Well, all those things are good. Take a meal this week or take time this week before you go to bed and intentionally remember on what God has done in your marriage and give God thanks together. Oh, uh, we don't pray together. Well, you're missing out, bro. Thank God for what he's, I'm challenging you to do this. You know, you're like, well, well, I'm single. I'm not, I, hey, you're not out. God done something for you. School cafeteria, work, remember, reflect, and give God thanks. Guys, we're in a battle, but the battle's already been decided. We're walking through tough times, but I can tell you that God's not done. I'm telling you, he's not done. He just says, walk carefully, maximize time, depend on the spirit, keep the song in your heart, worship together, and look for what God's doing and give him thanks. And God, I just pray that as we leave here, that we would realize and remember that you're not done, that you are at work. Father, that we would acknowledge your incredible grace that's been extended to us time and time again. And God, I'm praying that this week as we, as we take this challenge as families or as individuals, Lord, that, that you would help us remember it. Father, and, and God, I pray that you would make us aware of the fact that we're in a fight. But God, may we remember that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so God, for what you're going to do in and through your church, what you're going to do in, in, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, our friendships, we thank you for this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>